Hello, Grace Bible Church. It is an honor and a privilege to be here today to share God's Word with you. And uh, if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn with me to the uh, book of Romans. Romans, and we'll be looking at chapter 8 and verses 28 through 30. And while you're turning there, I just want to... Uh, Thank Brandon for his introduction. Like uh, he talked about, I knew Brandon. I have known Brandon for about seven years now, and we started seminary together. And uh, he was he was such a blessing to me then. He I know he told that story about me handwriting those papers. Uh, that, that didn't last through the New Testament. We had only lasted through the Old Testament. That was a lot of work. So, um, But I just remember Brandon being a very uh, shepherding, person even back then he he was the guy that uh that I, I credit because i was when i hit hebrew my first uh semester there i was uh i was like a deer in the headlights and we were in class together and uh, i still remember we would meet at uh, in and out burger and places like that and just and just try to figure it out and and it was it was very difficult so i was ready to grab my wife and pack up the car and head back to minnesota but <clears throat> brandon was such a blessing he uh he just guided me through it, and, and we talked about it, and we, we kind of helped each other, I think, through it. And, and like I said, he was such a blessing. And someday my wife and I would love to come in person and, and, and be there with all you guys, worship with you guys there in Florida. So, And when Brandon asked me to preach, I, I, I was remembering I was preaching through uh, at our church, uh, Romans chapter 8. And Romans chapter 8 is such a, an amazing chapter in the Bible, and it's such a blessing. And so I, I wanted to to just do that. And so that's what I did. And uh, and so if you're there, let's look at it. Romans uh, chapter 8, starting at verse 28, and we'll read through verse 30. It says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, as always, we rely on your Holy Spirit, Father to be our teacher, Father, that, that the Holy Spirit would guide me, use me to preach a better message than I have prepared. And Father, I pray that, that your spirit would work on the inside of everyone watching this. And Father, we that there would be an understanding of your word. And Father, that you would just open our minds and our hearts to your truth. Father, we pray you encourage us, you strengthen us, make us more like your son. In Christ's holy name we ask all these things. Amen. Amen. So again, verses uh, 28 through 30 of Romans chapter 8. And these verses are a blessing to us because when life gets tough and with what's going on in our world right now, right, we, we, we can be tempted to ask the question, is God still with us? Right? Does God still care about us? with all the chaos going on. And we find the answer when we look at this, that the answer is yes. We, we can rest in our sovereign God. 
we ask the question, why? Well, as we look at Romans chapter 8, verses 28 through 30, we'll see two truths. First, in verse 28, that God is the master weaver. And second, in verse 29, 20, verses 29 through 30, that God is the master planner. So God is the master weaver, and God is the master planner. And these three verses are, I can still hear Steve Lawson saying this in class in seminary, he, Steve Lawson likes to call these three verses the deep end of the pool. It's very thick, very thick and full, but it's also a big blessing in our lives. So let's let's unpack this. Let's jump in. First, God is the master weaver. Look at verse 28 again. It says, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. Again, this is one of the most popular verses in all the Bible, and we can see why, right? It, it's comforting to know that when life is at its worst, when life is at its toughest, God is at work in every detail, in every circumstance, in every situation of our life. That after we repent and when we believe in what Christ did for us on the cross, we're now born again. And the good news is, right, that, that we don't just live a life of random things going on around us. No, we need to remember that, that, that we, as we live our Christian life, as, as we walk our Christian walk, God causes all things to come together and work for our good. And that's God's will, right? That's God's providence. God's providence is God's continuing activity in the world that he created for the good of his people. He's the creator of all things, and he's also the controller of all things. And so that he's working all things together for our good. And God uses everything. He uses everything, right? He uses good. He uses bad. He, he can even use evil. He can even use sin for a greater purpose, a greater cause. And even though God did not cause evil, he did not cause sin, he can still use it. And all we have to do is look at the cross. This is an example of that, right? We just went through Easter. Our Lord Jesus dying on the cross was the most evil sin ever committed in the world. And when the world rose up and it, it called for the death of the sinless, perfect life, the perfect Son of God, but yet God had it all planned out from the beginning. It was predestined, right, by the Father, the foreknowledge of God, the Father. And although God was not the author of evil, it was the Father that gave the Son over according to the plan that he had. Do you think it was just a coincidence that, that Jesus Christ was born at the time when Rome was at the peak of their power and that they used crucifixion for a way of punishing, executing criminals. Crucifixion was invented by the Persians, but it was perfected by the Romans, and it was the most horrible death ever devised by man, and yet it was the method that God chose to sacrifice his own son. Jesus Christ was born at the right time in the right place, just the way God had it set up. God is in control. It's like what Joseph said in Genesis chapter 50 and verse 20. Remember when Joseph's brother sold him into slavery, Genesis 50, 20 says, As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. I can hear Steve Lawson saying this in class also. He said, God's so in control that he can draw a straight line with a crooked stick. And God can take the worst of circumstances and use it for the greatest good. And this should give us an enormous comfort that there's nothing random going on anywhere in the universe. The coronavirus didn't surprise God. It didn't take him by surprise. 
God didn't create the world and this universe and, and, and set it down and simply walk away, right? And let it, let it go its own course. And maybe once in a while he takes a look to see how things are going. And, well, maybe this isn't going the way I thought. So I'm going to, he's going to have to fix that a little bit there, right? That's not the way it goes. But we see when we read scripture, all throughout scripture, is not only that God created all of this out of nothing, but he still holds it all together in his hands. He's holding it. And God is causing all things to work together for the, for our good. There's nothing random going on in our lives. He's working all things together for our good. Let's look at verse 28 again. He says, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Notice that verse 28 begins with and, that three-letter word. And this and means that it's a continuation. It's it's like a bridge between what was just said and what and what Paul's going to say. It's a bridge that connects verses one through twenty-seven to verse twenty-eight. And this is important because if we look down in verse eighteen, Paul talked about our suffering. In verse twenty-three, he talked about our groaning. In verse twenty-five, he talked about us having patience, staying the course, right? And then in verses 26 and 27, he talked about our weakness. So what Paul is telling us with this, this little word and here in verse 28 is that there's, there's a reason for all of these. They're not random things happening. And we, and we move up to verse 35. If we look up at verse 35, he lists some other sufferings that are coming for believers. If we look up at verse 35, he says this. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? And isn't it amazing that between these hardships that we see in verses 23 through 27, and then here in 35, that God, through Paul, put this verse, verse 28, right here, right between these struggles, right? We can see. What we see by that is that Romans 28, 28 is the fulfillment of the promise in verses 26 and 27. If we look what Paul said there in verses 26, he said, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what we ought to pray for, it, pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And then in verse 27, he says, And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So the reason, <clears throat> so the reason for, for those who love God, all things work together for good, in verse 28, is that the Spirit's interceding on our behalf according to the will of God. And to us, our lives can seem chaotic, right? They're out of control, but, but the Spirit of God knows what the will of the Father is for us. And it's exactly what needs to happen. So the Holy Spirit prays and intercedes to the Father for his will and to work in our lives. And then verse 28 is the answer to those prayers, that God causes all things to work together for our good. And so verse 28 begins, and, and it's linking Paul's thoughts together. And then look at the, look at the next two words of verse 28. He says, we know, we know, notice the confidence there. Paul wants us to see the truth in this verse. And he assumes that the church in Rome already knows this truth, right? They already know this. It's basic Christianity. It's like Christianity 101. And notice Paul didn't say, we feel, we feel all things work for good. Because, because not all things feel good, right? Sickness doesn't feel good. 
getting laid off from work doesn't feel good. Any kind of suffering doesn't feel good. So we don't go by how we feel. We go by the truth. And also Paul didn't say we see. We see all things work together for good. That we understand what's going on. That we can see clearly, oh, I understand now what's happening in my life. God is doing this for this reason. Because we don't see that, right? We don't know that. We don't understand what's going on. We don't see everything God is doing. There's no way we can know how the things in our life are working for good. We have to do it by faith and, and have this confidence that all things are working for good. We must know, that's what he's saying, that God is weaving all things together in our life for good. We must believe the truth that we already know. So Paul says we know. This is something we have faith in, we trust in, we believe in, right? We can have confidence in. And so then in verse 28, he goes on. We see a commitment. It says that for those who love God, those who have a bond, those who are, those who are committed, that's why it's true for them, right? Because it's, it's for those who love God. God's not working all things together for good in everybody. He's only working all things together for good for those who love him. And those who are regenerated, those who are born again, those are who love God. Without our regeneration, we can't really love God because before we're converted, right, we, we love ourselves. Before we're converted, we ignored God. We, we rejected God. We may have even hated God. The only way we can truly love God is, is to be regenerated. To have our old stony hearts removed and a, a new one of flesh take its place. And a place where now the Holy Spirit can take up residence. And then and only then can we truly love God. Before we, we love ourselves more than anyone or anything. But now we love God more than anyone or anything. And it's for those and for those only that God is causing all things to work together for good. So we can see that true saving faith, it's deeper than just a knowledge of God, right? It's, 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 it's not just knowing doctrine, not just having a head knowledge. But no, this involves our heart, affections, emotions. We must have a heart that has a deep, passionate love for God. And that brings with it a desire to know God more deeply, more personally, like it's like when we fall in love, right? When we fall in love, we, we want to get to know that person. We want to get to know them better. We want to spend time with them. We want to talk to them. Well, that's what we do with God. We read his word to know more about him. We have a desire to know more about him. We're born again. We're regenerated. And now we have that desire. And that's how we know if we're truly regenerated, right? That's how we know. It's 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 do we have that passionate love for God, a desire to know more about him? That's why Paul says, for those who love God. 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 3, Paul said there, but if anyone loves God, he is known by God. Love and know here are, are interchangeable. The, the, in fact, all throughout Scripture, really, know and love mean the same thing. To know God is to love God, and to be known by God is to be loved by God. So A equals B. If anyone loves God, they're known by God. So if we're truly born again, we love God. You know, God doesn't bore us. Christ and the Bible aren't dull to us. There's an excitement in our soul for God, for Christ. And this love doesn't depend on how long we've been a believer either, right? If you don't have to have reached a certain level. If you're a believer, 1 Corinthians 8.3 has your name on it. 
But if anyone loves God, he is known by God. And notice next in verse 28, Paul says, all things, all things work together for good. So there can be nothing outside all things, right? It's, it's all things. It's good things and bad things, right? It, it, it's good and evil. It's God and Satan. It's prosperity and poverty. It's health and sickness. It's success and failure. This is all things. And this is, this is the, this, and God is the one who's driving all this, right? He's the one doing it. And when life doesn't make sense, we need to go to Romans 11.36. Romans 11.36 is that amazing verse where it says, For from him and through him and to him are all things. All things are coming from him, through him, and to him. And we can go to sleep every night with that on our minds, right? It's very, very comforting to know that. That there's nothing random going on anywhere. Everything that's happening is happening just as God has planned it. It's God that's causing all things to work together for good. Well, we can ask the question, can we trust God? Can we trust God? Well, here's what we need to remember about God. First, there are four truths about God. First, God is all loving. God loves us perfectly and brings all things to work for good. Secondly, God's all wise. He's all wise. He knows that the only greatest good in our lives. Thirdly, God's all knowing. Nothing ever surprises him. God's not surprised by anything. And fourth, God is all powerful. He can make anything happen. And so when, when, when God causes all things, there can be no resistance, right? God can overrule or override any speed bumps that come along the way to stop trying to stop we can totally trust him because he's all-knowing, he's all-wise, he's all-powerful, and he's all-loving. And he's capable of making the greatest good come into reality in our life. And then next in verse 28, all things what? Well, it says all things work together for good. And this word work together, again, in the original, this is in the present tense. And why is that important? Well, it's important because it means every moment of every day, God's working all things together for good. So this isn't something, again, like I said earlier, he doesn't just do once a year, right? He doesn't do it December 31st. He looks down and he sees what's going on. And he puts stuff together. Then he, he leaves again. No, every second of every moment of every day, God is a working God. He's working all things together for good. His hand is never off the steering wheel. He never sleeps, even when we're asleep. He's wide awake, in control of the universe, working all things together for our good. And he's doing it for you and me, as if we were the only people on the planet. He's so big and so powerful that there's no other distractions that can take him away from us. We can rest in that. We can rest in that. And also, this is in the active voice, which means he's not just passively observing like I said, he's not a spectator. He's actively working. He's actively working. It's a fact, right? It's a fact. It's, it's, it's not that, hey, if you do this, then I'll do this, right? That's not how it works. He is working in our lives. It's a statement of fact. God's taking all of it, and he's weaving it together. And we see in verse 28, it says, for good, for good. He's working all things together for good. So we can ask the question, what is good? What is the good? Is good being rich? Is good being physically healthy? Is good being admired by others? Is good being successful? Well, is good having the comforts of life? 
right? And you know, for some believers, these will all be true in their lives. But for other believers, this, these won't be true in their lives. So what is the good? Well, the good is found in the next verse. Look ahead to verse 29. In verse 29, it says, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to, what? To be conformed to the image of his son. <clears throat> There's the good. There is no greater good in our lives to become more like Jesus Christ. I can't think of a better good. So what God is doing is he's taking the whole mess. He's, he's working it all together to make us more like his son. And again, many times it's the hard stuff, right? It's the tough times and not the good times that are the most effective in our lives that, that make us more like Christ. It's the trials and not the triumphs that make us more like Jesus Christ. And don't misinterpret this. Again, I'm not, I'm not saying that, that all things are good, right? Evil is not good. Isaiah 5.20 says, Woe to those who, called, who call evil good and, and good evil. Sin is not good. And so it's not saying that God is the author of sin either, right? Or evil. God is not. But what it is saying is that God takes, he takes it all. He takes the good. He takes the victories, the triumphs. He takes the bad, the heartaches, the sickness, the tragedies, everything. And God is only God can do is weaving, he's weaving this tapestry together so that the outcome is good. And that good is that we're becoming more and more like his son, Jesus Christ. It's kind of like, a, it's like an oriental rug. If you've ever seen one, if you look at the top, it's this beautiful design. But if you flip it over, it's, you see just faded threads. There's no design to it. But again, if you, and again, if you look at the top, it's just a beautiful design. And that's kind of what God's doing in our lives, right? We, we can only see the backside of it. We only see the faded threads and there's no pattern. We don't understand it. But someday we will see the entire finished product that God is doing in our lives, which again is to make us more like his son. Remember, God causes some things. God allows other things. And God controls all things. And the rest of verse 28 ends with those called. It says, for those who are called according to his purpose. Again, all believers, all believers. Notice here that, that Paul describes believers as those who are called according to his purpose. Remember earlier, he describes believers as those who love God. Well, the reason he does this is first, the first is from a human perspective, right? And here it's from a divine perspective. From our side, we're the ones who love God. But from God's side, we're called according to his purpose. And this call is, is the sovereign, eternal, effectual, irresistible call of God that never fails. It never fails. It's always answered and, and, and does not take no for an answer. So God is causing, he's weaving all things together for good for those who love him and only those who love him. He loves his children. And so he weaves the threads of our lives for good. So first, God is the master weaver, the master weaver. Second, second, God is the master planner. Look at verses 29 and 30. And these two verses, 29 and 30, are what theologians like to call the golden chain of salvation. So let's look at verse 29 and 30. 29 says, For those whom he foreknew he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. In verse 30, 
And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. And so if you've ever wondered how and why you're saved, why you're a believer, these, these, these two verses give us the answer. In these two verses, we have the most complete view of the saving grace of God that can be found in any one passage. That's why it's called the golden chain of salvation. And it stretches from eternity past to eternity future. It begins before the foundation of the world. And this chain has five links on it. And the first two links are found in verse 29. And they are foreknowledge and predestination. And these are big words, right? These are Bible words. These are God's words. And that's why Paul uses them. It's the first part of the golden chain of salvation. Foreknowledge and predestination. And then in verse 30, we see the next three links in this chain. It's called, justified, and glorified. And all these things happen the moment we're brought into the kingdom of God. And the last link in this, this chain of salvation, this glorified, this glorification is what this salvation chain is bolted to in the future. And this golden chain of salvation, it can't be broken. It goes from eternity past to eternity future. It spans time and eternity. And none of these links can ever be broken. The reason they can't be broken is because they're forged together by the will of Almighty God. That means there's, there's no one added along the way. There's no one subtracted along the way. And this is deep, right? This is this is hard for us to understand that God knew us before the foundation of the of the world, way back in eternity past. He knows that we're going to be with him at his throne in eternity, forever. We'll be with him. He knows that. And there's no dropouts, there's no one left behind. So let's see if we can unpack this a little more. Look at verse 29 again. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined. So God foreknew, God predestined. And this is all God. This is none of man. None of man. So do we really have nothing to do with this? Yes, it has nothing to do with man, and it's all God. It's a five-letter word, right? G-R-A-C-E, grace. God's grace. I can still hear Steve Lawson in class saying God's grace is, is, is God's riches at Christ's expense. God's riches at Christ's expense. You know, we're just like Lazarus, really. Remember, he was dead four days. He was lying in a tomb. He was already starting to smell. And they rolled the stone away, and Jesus shouted, Lazarus, come out. And he came out. So we asked the question, just how much did Lazarus help Jesus? Right? That's the question. Well, the answer, of course, is none. Right? Before he was brought back to life, he could do nothing. It was only after Jesus called his name could he get up and walk out. Well, that's us, really. That's a great example of us. Before we're regenerated, before we're saved, we're just like Lazarus. We are dead in our sins. We're dead. And only God can open our eyes. He, only he can open them to see our sin. And only then can we repent. And only then can we get up and follow him. And none of that happens without God. That part's 100% God. There's only one active agent, and that's God. And only after this can we begin to move toward him, just like Lazarus did. We're caught up in something far bigger than we are, or ever will be. Again, Paul sums it up perfectly in Romans eleven thirty six, For from him and through him and to him are all things. 
But not some, he says to say, not some things, not most things, but all things. And it's all from him. It's all to him. And it's all through him. And scripture tells us that it was God who called our name. That it was God who laid his hand on us. It was God who chose us. And he did it long before we chose him. God loved us long before we loved him. He pursued us long before we pursued him. He knew us long before we, we knew him. So again, as we look at verse 29, it says, For those whom he foreknew, again, the first link in this golden chain of salvation, this foreknowledge. And let's look a little closer at this, because this is a tricky word, right? This can throw people off. God's foreknowledge. This is what I thought it meant before I, I really studied it in Scripture. When I first came to Christ, and even when I started seminary, going through seminary, I, I, I didn't really understand what it meant. But the more you study it, the more you see in Scripture, the more it, it becomes clear. But this is what I thought it meant when I first heard this word. I thought it meant that this is God looking down uh, a tunnel of time to see what, who, what men and women, would, what, are we, what are they going to do with his son? And based on what he sees, if he sees someone you know, accepting his son and then for salvation, then God will make that same decision for them. God will, will choose to save them. But that's what I and that's what I thought I meant. But that was wrong. And it's wrong for three reasons that I figured this out. And this is why it's wrong. Because first, God has never looked into the future and learned anything. God knows all things. That's kind of a, an obvious one. And second, if, if all foreknowledge is, is God looking into the future to see who will believe his son, then all God would see is what? He would see us not selecting his son, right? We are all like sheep who have gone astray. We would never, we would never choose his son if it wasn't for God choosing us. And thirdly, foreknowledge doesn't mean foresight. It doesn't mean foresight. Again, it says in Romans 8, 29, for those whom he foreknew, notice it's a personal pronoun, whom. There's a whom there. It doesn't say for those who he foresaw, but for those he, he foreknew. So the word foreknowledge in the original language, and I would never have I would never have seen this if I hadn't studied Greek, but in the Greek it it, it just it comes out much better, right? Um it's a verb. It's a it's a verb with a prefix on it in Greek. It means the, the 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 verb is to know. That's what the verb is, and the prefix is pro, which means beforehand. So it's to know beforehand is what it means. And as we look through the Bible, and we don't have time to go through all this now, but if you want to do a study on it, I can email Brandon all the verses that you can study to show that that this this know is 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 to love beforehand to the love beforehand. God is the master planner. He's planned all this out. And so if you look at what verse, what this foreknowledge is, is, is what, what, what this verse is saying is that it says, those whom God chose to love in a special saving way, these God predestined or determined to become conformed to the image of his son. So this foreknowledge is like a God loved us before the foundation of the world. And the second link in the golden chain of salvation, this predestined right or predestination this means that the destination has been preset it's already determined it's it's a it's in a set course right? it's it's set in concrete it cannot be changed there's nothing that can happen to change it for god this is a done deal right and this is kind of the ultimate pride crusher right 
Because we like to think that we bring something to God that made him choose us, right? That we were we were special or or, or we must have done something that, that, that made him love us. But we didn't do anything to, to deserve this. It's God who takes the initiative and calls us and seals us. And then in verse 29, it ends with this. It says, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. In the Old Testament, it tells us that the firstborn son was to receive the birthright, to receive a double portion. The headship of the family was passed on to. And to us, this is Jesus Christ. He's, he's called the firstborn, even though, even though he, he's God and he's always existed. But the position of firstborn was one of preeminence and prestige and power. And that was the plan of God for his son, Jesus Christ. So God's at work causing all things to work together for good for his sons. He's not only, he's not only chosen us in eternity, eternity past, but he's, but he's predetermined to plan, right? He's the master planner so that all his sons and daughters, that's all believers, that's you and I, be conformed to the image of his firstborn, Jesus Christ. And then we look at verse 30. And those whom he predestined, he also called. Called the third link in the golden chain of salvation. And this call, right, it's not an audible call. We don't literally hear the voice of God, right? But, it, but it's a call that comes from, from hearing the gospel or, or, or hearing or reading God's word. And it hits our soul, right? It, it, it penetrates deep inside of us. It reverberates inside of us. It, it drowns out everything the world has to offer. Any other call that would hold us back and, and keep us in our sin, it captures us. It drags us to Christ. And then when, when God calls, right, who can resist? Who can resist? Who's more powerful than God? God calls, he overcomes all obstacles. And, and who is God calling here? Well, he, it says only those he predestined. So how do you know if you're predestined? Right? That's a good question. Well, are you born again? Are, have you been regenerated? Do you believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross in your place? He took the place that you deserved on the cross. Well, if you believe, if you've done that, if you if you've repented and you believe that, then you're predestined because that does not happen without God. It's like when you get a summons, right? A summons from the court to appear in front of a judge. That's what it means. That's what this word means. It's a calling, right? It's a calling. We see, it, we see this in action in John chapter 10, verses 3 and 4. In John chapter 10, verse 3, it says, To him the gatekeeper opens, the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. And then verse 4 of John chapter 10 says, And when he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. They know his voice. Jesus calls his sheep, and he calls them by name. We're called by name, and we know our shepherd. We're called, we're subpoenaed by God. And this call, right, this call, it's an internal call. It's a divine call. It's an individual call. It's a penetrative call. It's an irresistible call. We don't see any of this when we first come to Christ, right? We have to learn this later by reading God's word and studying it. Those whom he predestined, he also called. And then in verse 30 goes on, and those whom he called, he also justified. This is the fourth link in the salvation chain, justification. So just what is justification? 
Well, there's seven truths about justification that we can look at. First, it happens instantly. It happens the second we repent and believe. Second, it's full and complete. It's full and complete, right? We all have the same level of justification. And third, it's free. There's no cost. There's nothing we can do to help this out. It's freely given by God. And fourth, it's undeserved. It's undeserved. God doesn't justify good people. God justifies bad people. So no one deserves it. And fifth, it's through the work of another person, right? Through the work of another person. Jesus Christ, he lived the life that we should have lived. He lived a perfect life. But we couldn't because of sin. So he died on the cross in our place. And sixth, it's non-returnable. It's non-returnable. Once we're justified, we're always justified. It's permanent. And seventh, it's perfect. God gives us the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ. And now we have perfect standing with him. So how amazing is this, right? Justification is that now we can stand before a holy and righteous God, and he will declare us righteous. And that's why it says up in verse 33 of chapter 8 of Romans, it says, Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? Because it's God who justifies. It doesn't matter what anybody else thinks or says. All that matters is what God says. And he declares us righteous. So no matter how sinful your past has been, no matter how guilty your soul, God freely, fully, forever justifies those who are the least deserving when we believe in his son, Jesus Christ. So, those who are called, he also justified, it's a fact. We can chisel it in stone, it's fact, right? And so now we come to the final link of this golden chain of salvation. It's what this, what this chain is bolted to. It's like the chain of salvation is between two cliffs, right? And in, in between is this huge chasm. And one side is bolted in eternity past, and this, and then it's bolted to the other side in eternity future. It's unbreakable, this chain. The last part of verse 30 says, And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Our future glorification, the fifth link. Again, this is all God. And this, this word also means it's not maybe, or maybe it, it could be, <laughs> it might be, but it says, but he also glorified. This glorification deals with our future glory. And this is you and I standing again before the throne of God, clothed in the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ. We're standing perfect in front of him, which means what's true of Christ is now true of us. And the Father deeply loves the Son. He deeply loves those who are in the Son. And I hope you noticed the IED at the end of glorified. That means it's in past tense, right? It's, it's already happened. It's a done deal. So God in eternity past, he foreknows us, he predestines us, he calls us, he justifies us. And then in eternity future, he glorifies us. And even though it is future, it's already done in the mind of God. A glorified body. A glorified body means we'll have a resurrected body. We'll have a new body suited to our new environment. A glorified body means all of our old sinful ways of thinking will be gone. There'll be no more battling with temptation, no more thinking about selfish desires, no more envy, no more jealousy. Those, those will all be gone. But from now on, we'll have only pure, holy, undefiled thoughts, only, only love and devotion for God. And those whom he 
justify, he also glorified. And some of you may have noticed that there's, there's, there's one thing missing in verses 29 and 30 about our salvation, right? Uh, uh, Paul never mentions sanctification. He never mentions sanctification. Well, there's a reason for that, right? There's a reason. Here in verses 29 and 30, Paul wants us to understand and he wants us to see just the parts that, that God does all. It's all God and none of us. But, you know, he, he kind of does mention, he does mention sanctification in verse 28. Just for a second, when Paul says, all things work together for good, this good is what sanctification is, right? This greatest, the greatest good we can do in our lives is to be more like Christ. Remember, our sanctification, that's, that's both the Holy Spirit and us working together. That's a team effort. Also, not everyone will have the same level of sanctification. Some will go deeper than others. Some will be more like Christ than others. And some will have grown up spiritually more than others. But here in verses 29 and 30, Paul wants us to see just the part that's all God. He wants us to see just the things that God does and God does alone. And God does these five truths equally in each believer. This is what Paul wants us to see, right? He wants us to see that we're, we're, we're all equally foreknown, we're all equally predestined, we're all equally justified, we're all equally glorified. That's what he's showing us. And so it's, it's God, the master weaver, who's weaving all the threads of our life together because we love him. And it's God, the master planner, who he's forged out this golden chain of salvation before eternity passed, and it, it expands all the way to eternity future. And so as we conclude, as we, as we wrap this up, that God is weaving all things in our lives for good and that there's nothing random happening to us. Knowing all this, how should this affect the way we live and with the way things are happening in the world, right, with coronavirus and, and just everything is shaken up. Our whole world has been kind of changed. And I think there's more changes coming, right? But but we can live, we can still live in the knowledge that if we've repented and if we are in Christ, we have an understanding that even though we don't know what will happen today, tomorrow, or even five minutes from now, right? But we, but we know we can trust God because God is all loving. He's all wise. He's all knowing. He's all powerful. And if we're his child, all things work together for our good. And this good is whatever we go through, whatever happens, it's making us more like our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And the more we know about God, the more we can rest in him, right? The more we understand, we know God, we can trust him. We don't have to ask the question, why is this happening to me? What is God doing? Because we know as believers, whatever it is, whatever it is, it will be the best for us. We can rest in our sovereign God because it's God who knows, who plans, who calls, who justifies, who glorifies, and who works all things together for those who love him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, how humbling it is that a great God like you would love us, Father, would call us, would justify us and glorify us. Oh, Father, when you work all things together for those who love you, is such a blessing to us. Lord, we do pray that you make us more like your son, Father. Help us to know you more so we can trust you more. 
Help us to be able to rest in your sovereignty, Lord, no matter what has happened or no matter what will happen. Father, we give you all the praise and all the glory. We pray that you be with us today and this week, Father. Guide us through these trials. Guide us through these times. Father, in your holy and mighty name we pray. Amen.